Good morning, church. Good morning, everybody in here, everybody out there. Um, welcome to church. <laughs> uh, it looks a little bit different um, because uh, we're doing the preaching first. So this would be a good time for announcements. Let's get that out of the way. One of these days, announcements are going to be really spiritual, and we're going to be like, oh, thank God for announcements. But that is not today. <laughs> um, we have some online things available to you, um, and you know about them. We've talked about them a million times. On Tuesday nights, we have the Mere Christianity class that Brookie leads, and on Wednesday nights, we have the Gadsden Vineyard Church Read Scripture Project org type that all in and uh, Kenny Ray leads that and uh, we have a couple of different services we have the Sunday morning service which you are listening to right now and we have a four o'clock service this afternoon and there's a re- Todd Bagley is the pastor of the four o'clock service that's right um, there's a recovery church that meets on Saturday nights next door um, it meets at 7 o'clock, 7, seven o'clock. <laughs> you can tell I attend regularly. Um, and it meets at 7 o'clock, and um, the pastor of that church is Michael Bynum. Right. And the pastor of this circus service is Pastor Jim Bentley. <laughs> okay. I think that's, my name is Jamie Jones, and I'm a visitor today. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they will just give the microphone to anyone. And it starts out with announcements. It's like, well, you do announcements, and then like years later, you're like just stuck here. Someone help. Um, let's see. Uh, any other announcement that we need to talk about? I don't know why I look to Liz. <laughs> Save me. Um, all right. If that's it, then let's, um, let's do something first. Um, our friend Phyllis sent me a text this morning, and she's not um, doing well. So she asked that we pray for her. So let's... Pray for our sister. Lord, will you bring healing and comfort to your daughter today? She is very sick, and we ask, will you lift that from her? And will you change it to peace and rest and restoration? a wholeness in you. And um, will you let her feel you right next to her? We love her so much. And we know that you love her even more. And that's why we trust her to you, Jesus. Amen.
I don't know how to start now. Um, so I have a hard one today. So uh, let me start with something easy first. <laughs> We're just going to start on page one, top of the page. <laughs> um, last week, we uh, wrote a psalm together as a church, and um, I asked my friend Katie to make a, um, a poster of it. I kind of drew it out and then gave her the freedom to make a poster, and she did. And it's really cool. And so we've given them out, um, and I didn't think about giving them out. I was just going to hang one up, like on the sound booth, so people could see it. But um, Katie told me when she designed it, she sent uh, a copy of it to her mom, just a picture of it. And her mom, you know, of course how moms just love everything you make, <laughs> you know. She was like, oh, are you going to bring that home so we can hang it on the wall? And, you know, Katie was like, oh, well, actually, you know, this church wrote this, and I just made it for them. And her mom's like, yeah, but are you going to bring one home, you know? And I thought that was so sweet. And then um, after I came back from my lunch break, uh, another coworker came up and she said, Jamie, I saw the poster that Katie made. Um, may I have one to hang up in my house? And um, she said, you know, I have a craft room where I do all my crafting and I want to hang it up in my craft room. And I was like, yes, of course. But then I was afraid because I thought, what if she tries to find this psalm in the Bible and she can't? find it and how do I explain what happened and so I started to say of course you can have one but I just you should probably know and she said oh Katie told me all about it how your church wrote it together and that's why I want it even more and uh, you know I don't often cry for good reasons at the library but um, I got a little bit clamped and then I thought well gosh maybe Maybe everyone would like one of these little posters, right? So I, I had some of them made. Oh, absolutely, thank you. Um, so there, that's a bit of sweetness to start, okay? So just remember that later on in the sermon, that there is some sweetness at the beginning, and there's some sweetness at the end. And, um, and all I ask is that when I am saying hard things up here, uh, wait to the end before you run me out. Let's pray. <laughs> Holy Almighty, unshakable one, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the word that you have for us. And will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today's the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, already. And today's gospel reading comes from Matthew 11. But first, I think it's important to add some context before I read it. 
In Matthew 5 through 7, we have Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And when he comes off the mountain, he and his disciples, they travel around to different cities. They preach and they do a ton of miracles. And then in chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to other Jewish cities to preach the kingdom of God and to heal every disease and sickness. And that's what the word says, every disease and sickness. And he tells them specifically that for now, only go to the lost sheep of Israel. They aren't to go to Gentile or Samaritan areas. And then in chapter 11, we have John the Baptist. He's in prison. And he's asking Jesus if he really is the Messiah. And is anyone else kind of relieved that even John the Baptist, the prophet who specifically told people to prepare the way for the Messiah, who actually baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descend like a dove and heard God's voice say, this is my beloved son. Like even John the Baptist has questions, his moments of doubt, right? When he's in prison, when things are looking so bleak for him, he questions, are you the Messiah? And Jesus sends a message back to John in prison, which basically says, yes, and my actions prove it. And isn't it great that Jesus doesn't ignore John's doubt? So now we get to the part in chapter 11 where Jesus is talking to a crowd. He's talking to them about John the Baptist, and he's telling them that John is the real deal. And so is he. And he goes on to give this crowd of Jewish people And there were leaders there and just regular folk there. He gives them some heavy correction. And then he tells them to turn to him and follow his ways. So here's Matthew 11, 16 through 30. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to the little children. 
Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? And he says that they're like a gang of unsupervised children in the marketplaces. Like, hey, we played a happy song and you didn't dance. We played a sad song and you didn't weep. And Jesus is correcting this crowd of Jewish people. Some of them are leaders who have taken God's laws and used them to lift themselves up and to hold the lower class down. So he's correcting this crowd and offering a better way. And understand that Jesus is not evangelizing here, but he's speaking as a prophet. I'll say that again because it's really important today. Jesus is not telling these people about God. He's not converting them. These people already believe in God. They have heard John the Baptist prophesy about the Messiah. <clears throat> so he's talking to them as a prophet. And he says, when John the Baptist came, he didn't eat and drink, and you said he has a demon. And when the Son of Man came eating and drinking, you said he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend to sinners. He's saying, you didn't like John's message of repentance, so you said he was too weird because he didn't eat or drink. And now you don't like anything I've said either, so you accuse me of being a sinner and hanging out with the wrong kind of people. He's telling the leaders, you don't want to listen to the truth because you don't want to change. You make these justifications so you can keep the power you think you have. John is a weirdo, Jesus is a sinner, and we don't listen to weirdos and sinners. But truth is truth, and wisdom is proved by actions, not by thoughts or words, but actions. Because thoughts and words can be hollow, fake, and actions reveal. Jesus compares this generation to a group of kids in a public place. They're unsupervised. There's no guidance, right? There's no good plan. Have you ever seen a group of kids in public? Were you ever those group of kids in public? Like, I'm going to assume that unless some of us were raised on the moon, we have at some point been those kids. But this time, as I read Jesus' words, right, as I read his prophetic call-out of this generation, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. This time, when I read it, it was like a gut punch. 
Because, oh no. Is our generation like this too? Do we do this? Jesus, as prophet, calls out this generation who upholds a religious system that gives them power to exclude others and hold them down. In Matthew 23, he puts it like this. You put heavy burdens on men's shoulders and you do not lift a finger to help them. He calls them out for upholding this system and benefiting from this system. And is basically saying, and then you think you're going to manipulate God with your songs. Do we do this? Are we guilty of this? And when I say we, I mean the whole church globally. And I mean the church in America. And I mean our small, weirdo, charismatic church on Broad Street in small town South State. Are we guilty of this? Do we benefit from systems that hold others back for any reason? Gender, color of their skin, accent, economic status? Do we do this and then expect God to march to the beat of our drum, to dance to the sound of our praise? In the past month, we've had people marching down the same sidewalk that leads to and from our church. And they're crying out to be heard and believed. And they cry out for justice. So do we ignore it? Do we shut our door? And do we say things to make us feel better? Do we say, well, they're doing it wrong, so we don't have to listen? Or do we say, like, well, they're asking for too much, so we don't have to consider any of their words? Are we... The church, this church, church in America and the world, the bride of Christ, are we going to hear cries for justice and then just plug up our ears with our fingers and go, la, 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 I can't hear you? And then are we going to turn around and sing a song to God? And do we think that he will listen to us over them? And why? Because we're singing a praise song? Do we honestly think that God is going to show up and dance with us just because we sing him a song when our actions or our inactions show just how foolish we are? Is our generation still making the same mistakes as the previous generation and the one before that all the way back to the one Jesus was scolding? Yes is the short answer to all of those questions. Um, yes, but not all the time is a slightly longer answer, but it's still a yes. Sometimes we do it on purpose, and that's really bad. Uh, sometimes we believe that there's an us and a them, and that God loves us because we're us, and he hates them because we hate them. And uh, this is never true. 
And that is us making God in our image. And we make idols of ourselves. So, yeah, sometimes we do that on purpose. And sometimes, sometimes it's a picture of God we've been given from previous generations. And we don't know any better until we do. Until God shows us the picture is skewed and, uh, and then we make a choice and we take an action. How about an example? Let's say I draw a picture of Liz. Always going to pick on Liz. Um, I can draw a picture of Liz, right? I went to art school. And, um, and poor Liz was like our model. Every time Laura and I needed something for an art class, we, we dragged her along wherever we went. Um, okay, so let's say I draw Liz and I give her long blonde hair and big blue eyes and a big face tattoo that stretches all the way down her neck. Now let's say I draw this picture of Liz and then I give her the picture and I say, I know you don't look like this, but I think you would look better like this because I don't like how you really look at all. Now, hang this on your wall because I made it. I bet her response would be angry, right? I mean, with good reason. <laughs> that was a terrible thing to do. <laughs> so, now let's say I draw that same picture of Liz with blonde hair and the blue eyes and the neck tattoo. Face tattoo. It's a face tattoo. <laughs> and what if I say, Liz, I drew a picture of you. And I hand it to her. Uh, don't you think she'd be confused? Like, maybe she'd think it's a joke at first, but then, in all of my earnestness, she'd be like, what? Like, Jamie, you think I look like this? We've known each other for decades. This is how you draw me. I thought... I thought you knew me. I thought you knew what I looked like. There's more hurt than anger. So sometimes we draw a skewed picture of God so we can direct what God looks like, so we can justify our grab for power. And sometimes we're handed down a skewed picture of God that we believe until he shows us that we've been wrong, like Jamie. I thought you knew me. In both cases, the solution, the action to take is repentance. You know, and Jesus points out to whole cities in verses 20 through 24, like, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. He denounces whole cities of people who believe in God. They know God. They've believed for generations. And he shows up and lavishes them with miracles, actions of pure love. 
and they do not repent because they do not want change because they benefit from the status quo to the detriment of their brothers and sisters. He says, woe to you, Capernaum. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, Sodom would have repented. Like, what a kick in the teeth. Sodom was gross. They were depraved. They stopped taking care of the poor and they lost some of their humanity, right? Enough that when they came into contact with angels, heavenly creatures, they didn't bow or acknowledge their heavenliness. They just wanted to rape them. And Jesus says they are going to be judged less severely than you, Capernaum. I don't want this for us. I don't want Jesus to come back and say these things or worse to us. After Jesus, as prophet, does his hard correction at them, us, he prays. In verse 25, he prays to his Father in heaven in front of this crowd of leaders and the regular folks. He prays and he reveals himself to be the Son. And he praises his Father in front of this whole crowd, the insiders and the outsiders. He praises him for revealing the truth to the ones who are childlike in their acceptance, the ones who are still open to wonder and to action. And do you understand that repentance was and is available to the ones who had benefited from the religious system and the ones who had been hurt by the system? I mean, that's grace for you. That's Jesus for you. He prays for them right there. And then he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He invites the ones who have been burdened by the people in power. And he invites the ones who are weary from holding on to the earthly power that they held over others. Jesus invites the oppressed and the oppressor to choose to an action of taking on his yoke. And Jesus speaks now as a rabbi to the crowd. Right? He started as a prophet bringing correction and then he prays aloud and reveals himself as the son. And now he encourages all to follow him, to take his yoke. And a yoke, as you probably know, is the wooden harness that goes across the shoulders of an ox to, um, to pull a plow or like a cart. And it was the part that would let you steer the ox. And in Hebrew terms, rabbis would encourage their students to take on the yoke of the Torah or the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Be directed by that. So Jesus as rabbi offers his yoke to all who are weary and burdened. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I believe this. Jesus invites the oppressed and the oppressor to repent, and to the ones who choose it, the ones who choose his yoke, he liberates. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I believe that too. But then, you know, I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm like, exactly which part of this is easy? Because it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. Great. What a start. It just gets harder from there. Right? He says, hating someone is the same as murder. If someone hits your face, give them a chance to hit the other side of your face. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he says, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. None of that sounds easy. Like, I fail at that daily, right? Even on a good day. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, what do you mean your yoke is easy, your burden light? I can't do it. Not on a good day, not on my best day. If I slept all day, I couldn't do this. And he says, I know. <laughs> he definitely was not shocked. Yeah, Jamie, I know. You're looking at me, and you're seeing a list of rules and a perfection that you can't attain on your own. But that's not what I look like, Jamie. My love and grace and forgiveness aren't dependent on your perfection. They're dependent on mine. So come to me daily. Let me liberate you from your sin daily. Take my yoke and learn from me daily. So that I can transform you daily. And you will find rest for your soul daily. So, what kind of generation are we going to be? Over the past month, Jim has mentioned that the church has become the tail and not the head. Are we a generation or a people who are okay with that? Are we going to choose to remain stubborn and not change our ways because we like the power we think we have? Is Jesus going to point to us and say, you're like a bunch of unsupervised, directionless kids who sing songs that no one hears because your actions prove your words are fake? Or are we a people who believe Jesus when he offers a better way? Do we believe him when he says, repent and follow me? And do we choose to let him transform us into kingdom people knowing that it will cost us our earthly power? Do we want Jesus to look at us 
And then praise his Father in heaven, saying, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. Like, yes, that's the one. Either way, we are children to him, right? We can choose to be wild and directionless, or we can choose to be wide-eyed with open hearts, ready to be led by his yoke. Amen? Holy, almighty, unshakable one, we are sorry for drawing you in our image, and we're sorry for upholding skewed pictures of you. Please forgive us for these idols. And thank you for not counting on our perfection, but on your son Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And thank you, Jesus, for bearing our sins. Thank you, Savior. Thank you for offering us a better way. And thank you for your rest. And Holy Spirit, will you help us to choose that yoke daily? Will you help us choose kingdom actions so our words and our songs will be filled with truth and heard by God? In Jesus' name, amen.